Let's open up our Bibles to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over there on the resource table that's over there in the corner so you can follow along with us. We are currently going through the book of James if you're a visitor. So uh, we are at James chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 13 today. So that's James chapter 4, verse 13, and we will be reading through uh, verse 17. This is God's holy word. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, as we open up the scriptures, we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, as we consider just the idea of the future, uh, our lives, our plans, our goals, our dreams, uh, we pray, uh, Father, that you would help us to realize that our lives are not our own. You have bought them with the price, and it's the blood of Jesus. So may we live lives that honor you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, by show of hands, who carries a daily planner around, a calendar? Maybe digital, maybe an actual written uh, book. How scheduled is your life? How planned out is your future? So if we busted out that planner, is it filled up a lot with, with various events and, and notes? I think we live in busy times. Uh, productivity and time management are big business. Uh, people are constantly, if you're online, they're trying to help you maximize your, your, your time, your potential, your future. And they, they promise a lot. Like, if you do this, we'll help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve. So what are some of your goals, some of your plans? Think about it. As, as you consider, do you plan on living in this area five years from now, ten years from now? If you're single, are you hoping to eventually get married? When are you going to get married? If, you, if you're married, are you planning on kids? When would you like to start having kids? Are you at the job that you plan on staying at for the next 10 to 20 years? Do you live in the house that you plan on living at in the next 5 to 10 years? You know where you're going to go to vacation next year. You see, life is constantly filled with us looking out at the future and trying to plan and predict what our days will be like tomorrow. And I would argue there is nothing inherently wrong with that. As we're going to even see, there's some biblical warrant for us to be planners and to be organized and be thinking through stuff like that. But here is the issue, and here is the heart of the problem. Here is the focus of our passage today. The issue is when we consider the future with no regard for God. The issue is when you and I, as followers of Christ, look down the road and we don't give God a second thought in what the future may hold. 
Because the reality is, as believers, you and I are to live in utter dependence upon God, and we have to have a focus upon Him. So that, that's where we're going this morning as we unpack these verses. Uh, it's really kind of a plead for you and I to let God uh, take control of our lives and really uh, let us be consecrated to Him. Uh, as If you're a note taker, we're going to begin by looking at the boasting we're going to see the problem that's going on with the people he's writing to. That there are, There's a group of people in there that have some big plans. They're ambitious. They, they know where they're going. They know what they want to do. So we're going to start seeing what that boasting is. But then secondly, we're going to look at the blindness. And here's where we start seeing the problem. They have all these plans. They have all these ideas of the future. However, they don't know what the future holds. However, they don't know what the future holds for them. And we're going to see the need for us to, to acknowledge that you and I, we're not God. We don't know like God knows. Third thing we're going to consider is the bowing that needs to take place. There needs to be a humility on our part, realizing that we aren't God, that God is God, and that our lives are not our own. And then lastly, we're going to look at the bullseye. Uh, what should be our target in how you and I Live. So let's begin. Let's pick up at verse 13 as we see the boasting. Now, if you remember last week, God's grace is transformative. It's acted upon. That you and I, we don't judge other people. Why? Because of what God has ultimately done in and through us. It's very practical. God doesn't just simply save you to get you into heaven. And what we're going to see in that same practical, real-life faith format, we're going to see what goes on in these verses with regards to our future and our planning for it. Let's read verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Notice that they have big plans. Now, we need to realize this is first. Uh, first century, there would have been traveling merchants. What they would have done is they would have traveled to do their business, to, to sell. Uh, they would stay in a region, stay in an area for so long, and then they would move on. So imagine you're back then and you have a product to sell. Uh, let's say uh, you, you are a designer of sandals. We'll make it really relevant first century. It's like you are, so what would be some names of sandal companies? Birkenstock. So the first ever Birkenstock was in the first century. I, I, I don't think it is. But imagine you are the founder, you're the creator, so you move in and you're going to go sell your pro product. So you go into a region and you start selling all your Birkenstocks, but there comes to a point when people stop buying your Birkenstocks. So it's like, okay, so now we're going to, the market is dried up. We're going to move on to the next location. We'll do business there, and we'll just keep traveling around. Remember, they, they don't have online ordering. They can't do web sales. They, 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 they can't have UPS or FedEx fight over who gets a ship for them. No, that's not the reality. They can't be a seller for Amazon. So this would have forced them, it would have required them to actually go into the regions that they were selling. And they had big plans. Proverbs 15, 22 speaks of plans. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So that's what they do. And notice what their plans are. First of all, they have a plan for a location. It says that they're going to go into such and such a town. So think of some of the towns that we know from first century from the Bible. Maybe they were going to go to Macedonia, 
Ephesus, Galatia, Philippi, and they're going to go there and they're going to do business. But not only do they plan for the location, what do they plan for? Duration. He says, how long are they going to stay there? They're going to spend a a year there. So the plan is we're going in, we're going to be there for the year, and then we'll move on to the next destination. And then they plan their activity. What are they going to do? They are going to trade. So they have a clear idea of what their activity is going to be. And then lastly, they plan for what? Success. They're going to make a profit. They're going to go there. They're going to do that. You see, but this isn't limited to merchants. Don't we do this? Don't we plan like this? School's starting up. For some, uh, it's going to be the first year of college. And what's the plan normally going to college? I'm going to go there to such and such school. I'm going to be there for so long. I'm going to, Lord willing, graduate, and then I'll move on to the next phase of my life. You and I, we plan vacations like that. We're going there for this week. We're going to be there that long. While they're there, we're going to do this activity and that activity. This is normal living to plan and to plot and to look out at the future and think through how we're going to spend our time. Some of you are even at at the point where you've been working for a while, and now you're starting to think through, what's it going to take for me to be able to retire? What are your big plans? What plans do you have in the immediate future? What plans do you have in the the next couple of years? Is your future plotted out? See, because they not only have big plans, they would have begun preparation. With big plans comes preparing. Think about it. If they're going to go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, they're going to have to bring resources, material. Maybe they have to make whatever product they're going to sell before they go. Maybe they'll make some of it. Then when they get there, they'll make more of the product. They're going to have to plan out where they're going to stay. They're going to have to plan for food. They're going to have to plan for money. It's a, it's, we do that. We, I just, two weeks ago, we just got back from vacation. Taking eight people on vacation for two weeks is a, it's a huge task. Uh, praise the Lord for my wife. She's very organized. We have a list. We prepare our meals for the two weeks while we're there. We prepare clothes. Everybody's got tubs. It is, it is such a task for two weeks. And they're talking about going away for a year to do this. You see, but the Bible actually commends this. Uh, Proverbs 31, we often refer to that chapter as the Proverbs 31 what? Woman. And notice how the, the Bible commends her. It says, she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. If you plant a vineyard, what are you planning on doing? It growing and then eventually having fruit from it. So she's, she's in it for the long haul is what it's saying. And it goes on. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You see, she didn't just sit back and do nothing about the future. Colossians 3.23, Paul tells us to do it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord. And I think sometimes in the church and amongst Christians, we have this kind of a cavalier approach of life. We even say this, it's very cliche, let go and let, and let God. And there's some, some biblical truth to that. But it also can be a crutch, an excuse for you and I to sit back and do nothing about it. I hope my kids, when school starts this next week, they don't let go and let God. Because that, that's not going to be good. I'm going to be getting phone calls from teachers. I'm going to be like, he got an F. And he'll be like, I let go and let God. 
No, you need to study, you need to read, you need to do your homework. Are you preparing for tomorrow? Are you not taking ownership of your life? So that's, that's the boasting that we see happening here. But then notice the blindness. There is a big problem. Even though they got big plans, they've begun preparation, there's one variable that they are not considering. They don't know enough to speak so confidently about the future because they are not God. Read verse 14 with me. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring They don't know the future. Tomorrow's events are uncertain for you. Now, I say that, and you, you, I see nods. You're like, yep, we don't know about tomorrow. But doesn't that statement feel a whole lot more real to you and I because of two years ago? Amen? 2020, did that throw off your schedule at all? Anybody? Things we're even doing today are different because of 2020. Pre, pre-2020, we had this really dirty, nasty diverter right here. It was down here, and we sardined everybody over on this side of the gym. That's how we did it. And if you didn't come, sometime later in the day, Alex or myself would down, put the sermon on the audio online so you could listen to the sermon that you missed. And then all of a sudden, we get this note that, hey, everything's closed, therefore the Y's closed, therefore you're not going to be able to meet there. And we went from here, sardines this side with the diverter down, to in Alex and Lyndon's living room one week later. And there I was, and all of a sudden I was on TV. We were online streaming out of nowhere. Ivy's in the background talking to me. And we're, we're, we're preaching away. And, and like those are things, like all of a sudden it changed. Now we started doing online streaming. Just, and everybody can all testify life has changed drastically as a result. It was a wake-up call to us that you can plan all you want. Things change in a moment's notice. Ecclesiastes 8, 7 says this, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? You understand, even the best meteorologist is limited in their predictions. There was a point yesterday, if you went on radar, at least where I live, constant green on the radar, and no rain yet, for like four hours. It just green was going over where I was, and I was like, because I assume when I see green, I should see rain. It's just like, they they go hand in hand, and that did not happen. Now, eventually, it did rain, but there's there's a sense where you and I, when we predict, when we forecast, when we speak of the future, there's a limitation to it because we don't know the future. Proverbs 21 Uh, One says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Well, do you act like you know to the future? Do you speak too confidently about what lies ahead tomorrow? And, And I'm not talking about you and I talking about heaven and Jesus and those certainties that we can stand on and we don't need to doubt and worry. But like, do you talk about tomorrow as though you know exactly what's gonna happen in the next 24 hours. Because they don't only simply know their future, they don't know their finale. They're not appreciating how frail, how brief 
their life is. He goes on and says what? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Have you ever seen fog over water where it can like just slowly disappear out of nowhere? There was a point when we were on vacation, the one day I woke up and, and we look over and I think it's about three quarters of a mile to this point on the lake and I could not see it because it was so dense, the fog. And then like 10 minutes later, I looked out and you could start seeing it. 10 minutes later, I, and then all of a sudden I looked out and there was no fog. It was, it was amazing to see how quickly. You and I, when we're outside in the winter, what do we do? We're, we're breathing and you can see what? Because we're in Ohio. You can see your breath because it's cold. Because that's how we roll. We either go extremely hot and muggy or it's freezing. Welcome to Ohio. And we see our breath and then it goes. And he's saying that, that in a very snapshot of life, that's our life. Job 8, 9 says, We are of only of yesterday and we know nothing because our days on earth are as a shadow. I think too often you and I act and live as though we all think we're going to live to be 140 years old. We just assume. We assume tomorrow. I don't know about you, as I get older, I assume less when it comes to life. Even when I had my recent birthday, people were like, what did you do? I'm like, I'm just grateful to be alive at this point. Like seriously, as you get, when you're younger, I mean, looking at all the young people here, you don't think that, and I'm not trying to tell you tomorrow you need to worry that tomorrow's your last day. So please don't think that. But like you need to be realizing that there is this a, a brevity to life that you don't know. We all have lost friends. We've all lost loved ones that we assumed would be there tomorrow and God's had other plans. Jesus warned of this in one of his parables, Luke 12, 19. The person said to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This guy had plotted, he planned, he'd gotten wealthy. Now he was going to live the good life now. And it says, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who here knows your great grandfather's name? Raise your hand. Who here knows your great-great-grandfather's name? Less. The truth is, and I know this is, this is going to be a big pride swallower for you all, you're going to be forgotten. I hate thinking of that, and I can, I'm teaching my kids, make sure you tell your kids, kids, kids. I want to prolong the name. I'm just kidding. But no, like seriously, there is just a, it, it's just, it's so sobering. It's so humbling to think that we're, we're forgotten within a few generations. It's as if you did not live. It's frail, it's brief, it's transient. Do you see how brief your life is? Does this humble you? And that's why, so we've seen the boasting, they have big plans, begun preparation. We see the blindness. They don't know their future. We see their finale. Let's look at the bowing. God needs to humble them in their perspective. Read verse 15 with me. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I, I know you all have all these big plans, 
and you have these ideas, and you have all this ambition, and you have all this drive, and that's great. But have you considered God in all this? We need to concede our dependence. If the Lord wills, in other words, if it's God's plan, then that will be my plan. But here's the deal. It's more than just adding that to your prayers, to your words, okay? So it's not, it's not magic. I even catch myself sometimes when I say something, I immediately stop and say, if the Lord wills. Hey, what are you doing Friday? Well, I'm hoping to go to the game, if the Lord wills. I was like, whoa, that was some boasting, Joe. You need to stop that. It's more, it's not just adding that on to what you and I say. It's the attitude of the heart. It's the, it's the disposition before God. Mark 14, 36. Has anybody ever had a greater example, a greater demonstra- demonstration of dependence upon God with the future than Jesus Christ? He's in the garden. He's sweating so, so badly because of the intensity of what he's enduring that he's sweating drops of blood. And notice what it says. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereign hand in his life. That his plans, that his purposes are dependent, contingent, and tied to his father's plans. And the same is true for us. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This is what I want, but God might want something else. Has that ever happened to you? Have your plans ever not matched up with God's plan? Everybody nod your head yes. Or you're lying, and that'll be next week's sermon. No. Yeah, we, how many times I thought, I remember one comedian joked, he's like, if that was the case, everybody would have married Farrah Fawcett. Because, like, he was a younger guy, and he's like, all the boys wanted to marry her at the time. And, like, you know, God had other plans. And the truth is, God often does have different plans for us. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So how dependent are you on God? How aware of you are, are you? Specifically with your plans. Specifically when you open out your daily planner. When you look at your calendar. When you consider your future. When you, you know, consider going to college or getting married or having kids or moving here or buying this house or changing careers. How much of that is also tied to you humbly bowing before God offering up your life, offering up your future, and say, God, this is what I'm thinking, but are you on the same page as me? Rather, am I on the same page with you? Because not only is it a time to concede our dependence, it is a time to confess our arrogance. He goes on and says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now we've seen James is not afraid to call them out in their sin, right? Just to recap, here's some of the things he's called them. He's called them adulterers. Most people don't like being called that. He called them sinners. He's called them enemies of God. He's called them double-minded. So he has no problem saying, hey, all that boasting that you're doing, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's conceit. 
You're not thinking about anybody but yourself. There was this commercial I was watching, and this, this guy, he was on his cell phone. I don't even know what the product was. I just remember the commercial. And the guy is walking on his, and looking on his cell phone while he walks, and he walks through like a door that somebody held open for him. So he doesn't thank them, and then the people behind them, he should have got the door for them. He shuts the door so they like, drops her stuff because her hands are filled. He, he's just walking over people. He walks in front of a person who's pulled up to a light. Uh, they actually had a green light. They could go, and he just walks, and he looks, and he's just kind of so self-absorbed, so not focused. And what James is calling you and out on, when we live like this with regards to our future, it's as if we're living with tunnel vision and we don't even think about God. We don't think about others. It's just all about who? Me. It's all about me. And that's a problem. Not only is it a problem, it's, it's a tendency amongst us. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules. And then down to verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Wasn't that the problem with King Nebuchadnezzar? King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this gigantic kingdom. He is successful. He has been uh, very well received, whether by fear or not, but he's, he's a big shot. And he looks out and what does he say about his kingdom? Look at the kingdom that who built? That I did. I did it my way, and look at what I've accomplished. And I think for four, far too many of us, we live our lives with such arrogance, such pride, such selfishness, that we're like mini King Nebuchadnezzars. Look at my life. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at how much my business is succeeding. It'd be easy me as a pastor, as we've grown a lot over the last several years. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at this church that I built from scratch 17 years ago. That's the tendency of our heart, friends. That's a tendency. And, and, and it's something that we need to confess. It's something that we need to repent of. It's something that we need to own that this is not good. When we talk about our future, when we look at our lives in such an independent way, apart from the God who puts you in the situation that you are in, this should not be the case. Remember, he's asked them, who are you to judge? Who are you to speak like this? This is evil. Do you see your need to confess your sins in this area? Do you see your need to invite God into your calendar, to into your schedule? We should not talk about the future when we do not give God. Surrey decided to jump in on that one. I must have said something Surrey related. My watch is like boasting. <sighs> Fun times. All right, so we see the boasting, they have big plans. They've begun preparation. We see the blindness. They don't know their future. They don't know their finale. We saw the bowing, though. They need to concede their dependence and confess their arrogance. The last thing that they need to do is they need to aim rightly. There's a bullseye. Look at verse 17. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So they need to know that there is a right aim. Immediate context was also big picture. What's the immediate context with what we're talking about? It's the principle that we live a life where we keep God at the forefront of our life, our decisions, our thoughts, our actions. The problem was they were preparing their future without ever considering God. That should not be the case. But it's more than just that. It's the principle that there is a right way to do things. 
And unfortunately, we live in a country, we live in a nation, we live in a society where there is no longer black and white. We live in gray. Well, that's right for you, but right for me is this. Do you understand? That there's, there is a black and white. There is right and wrong. And it's always derived of, of God and his word. James is consistently, he has, there's not been any fence straddling in our study of James, has there been? He's been pretty definitive. He's been pretty straightforward. Any fence straddling that's been going on has been the people he's writing to, not him. Is favoritism okay? No. Is it all right to just curse and say tons of bad stuff from your tongues? No. Is it okay to judge? Is it okay to plan your life out with any regard to God? No. The answer is no every time. A life of dependence and awareness of God also realize that God has decided that there is a right way to do all things. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Are you aiming rightly in your life? Where do we get direction for how to aim our life? Where, where is it found? The Bible, the Word of God. That's why we go through the Bible. That's why we go through books. I, I, I beat this drum all the time. Andy does it as well. We want you to become biblically literate because for you to know what the right thing is to do in life, you need to be men and women and children who are students of the Word of God. You need to know that. Are you aiming rightly? Are you aiming at the right target? Are you looking where you need to look? But not only is there a right aim, and here's the key, there is a right application, though. He says, whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, you and I, when we consider sin, I think we primarily think of sins of commission. You know what I'm talking about? Sins of commission. What are sins of commission? Just think of the, even the great commandment, the Ten Commandments. What? You know, don't murder. So if somebody murders somebody, they've committed that sin. Adultery, sexual immorality, lust, lying, cheating, stealing. You know the list. So often when we look at our lives, when we look in the mirror, when we consider our, our spiritual uh, well-being, whether we're pursuing holiness, we kind of look. If I ask you how your, how your battle with sin, most of you are going to be like, well, I've stopped doing this. I'm struggling with this. It's all sins of commission. But notice that there are sins of omission. When you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, what does James say that is? Ouch. What does he call it? He calls it sin. What was the problem with the, with the good Samaritan? Not with the good Samaritan, but with the, with the other people who did not follow in the footsteps of the good Samaritan, actually precede him rightly. Wasn't one of the persons specifically an expert of the law? So he knew the right thing to do. He knew that he was to love God with all of his heart, soul, and mind and strength. He knew he was to love his neighbor as himself, but he looked at that individual and he did not apply that knowledge. He was an expert of the law, but he did not apply the law. And friends, I think a lot of times in our lives, we know the right thing to do and we don't do it and we excuse it away. We explain it away. We don't think it's a big deal. But friends, if you never had a sin of commission, 
Your sins of omission would have damned you to hell. Think of that. Jesus would have still had to come because of our sins of omission. We need to be a people who apply what we know is right, what is good. And specifically in what that we're talking about right now, it's applying the fact that my life is not my own. My schedule is not my own. My future is not my own. God, you do as you see fit in my life. I just want to honor you. I have ambition. I have drives. I have ideas. And I would love for them to match up with you. But at the end of the day, if I don't get what I want, but I'm in your will and I get what you wanted for me, amen, praise the Lord. Are you submitting to God's word and will? Are you applying what you know is right and true? Um, anybody use Google Calendar? Uh, Google Calendar. One of the things I've, I've noticed with, with people I've interacted with, uh, sports teams that my kids have played on, uh, even family members, uh, there's a useful feature with Google Calendar is one, you can share calendars. So when you're trying to plan out your schedule, it's good to know, hey, when do we have practice, coach, this? And you can look and say, okay, we have practices on these times, so you can add that into your calendar. And then, oh, when, when do we have our family stuff going on? And you kind of share those. And then sometimes in that, you can actually uh, give the individual editing clearance. So Sharing's good, but if you can edit, it's even better because then the person can add in new events. So it's not just you dictating the schedule. Now, there's other apps and other platforms that do the same thing that we're talking about with regards to Google Calendar. But what happens is everyone gets to be on the same page and feels a part of what the group is doing. And what James is calling out, friends, is that you and I, One, we're not giving access to God of our calendar, and we're definitely not allowing him to edit it. And that shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case. If anything, you you should give him primary access of editing the calendar, and you should definitely be sharing it with him. I asked uh, Stephen for us to end on a song, and I just want to read some of the lyrics to it, because I think it's really, it's the application of what we just spent the last half hour or so on. It's a familiar hymn if, you've, if you are uh, around the church environment for many years. It's take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Do you hear that? Do you understand what that that hymn is representing? It is a life sold out for the Lord. It is a life where you have plans, you have ambition, you have drive, you have goals, but you have them under the subjection of God. It's, it's the person who lives constantly thinking, if the Lord wills, man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to do it to my best, and I'm going to bring honor and glory. But if God has other plans, if he has a different path, if he has a different idea, then I will follow that, because what I really want is to be under his authority. Your life is not your own. 
It's his. Use it rightly. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do acknowledge and we confess that we are often uh, a people who don't like to subject uh, our, our future, our choices, our decisions, our resources, our, our time to you. Because at the end of the day, we're cocky. We're arrogant. We, we think we're the best. We think we know what's best for us. Uh, but Lord, that is foolishness. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's sin. So God, forgive us. Forgive us. I think we could all testify to the number of times that you have taken us down a path we would have never wrote. We would have never planned, and it was so much better, so more superior than what we had decided was best. So help us to embrace your will for our lives. Help us to constantly be thinking, what does God have me do in this situation? God, we just want to honor you. We want to honor you in our thoughts, our, our words, our actions, our, our lives, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.